Welcome back to the Keep It Quirky podcast. I'm your host, Katie Quinn, and this is the pod where I talk with fellow creatives and entrepreneurs about food, travel, and the discipline and drive to create. Passion begets passion. So come on with me and let's do this. When I was listening back through this interview, it really hit me that today's guest, Emma Gannon, kind of gets to the heart of what this podcast is all about. And I think that a prime example of that is the fact that a lot of these themes, creativity, side hustle, complicated feelings with social media, failure and success, these are some of the things that we tackle on this podcast. They're the things that Emma writes about and talks about. And these are the same conversations I have with my friends when we meet up for coffee. Granted, a lot of these friends are also hashtag content creators. A perfect example was when I recently got together with my friend Jess Henderson. Hi, Jess. Hi. (laughs) I met Jess through London's Instagram community. You probably know her as Jess on Thames. She's got a big following on Instagram and a blog of the same name. And when I got to know her better, I found out that this was just one of her many hyphens. When people ask you what you do, how do you answer? I'm trying to figure it out. So many of us have many hustles at once. Communications and strategy and messaging, which led to what I wanted to say myself about the world and the travels that I'd been on, which led to my blog and, you know, um, my photography Instagram account, which then led to me getting together with a bunch of different Instagrammers and bloggers to create Creating for Good, which is a charity where we, you know, use the platforms we have to bring attention to issues that need to be talked about. But it's it's many hustles at once that are complementary, but I guess being explored at the same time. Well, it's interesting interesting that you say that they are all complementary because I do think that there is frequently a through line that if you think about it, it makes sense. Yes. And I wish more of us thought that way. I think we kind of fight ourselves in assuming that they're all separate or that they need to be separate. And I think sometimes we can make life easier for ourselves. And really, Jess could have put all of her eggs in the full-time Instagrammer path. I mean, she's got the following. But you can see the value that she places on having a few eggs in a few different baskets. Mm. These different things that you do, it also kind of flexes different parts of who you are as a person. It satisfies the curious side of me, which is probably why I got into blogging and photography to begin with. Curiosity. That's a biggie that we'll be exploring more this episode. So if your conversations with your friends are anything like mine, then you will love today's episode. This episode is the second in my month of interviews with authors, a series suggested by you all. And I must admit, I am particularly excited for today's author. Emma Gannon is my definition of a rock star. She does a lot of things. She's a writer, a twice published author, and writes for magazines and various online platforms. And she's a broadcaster. That title covers her own hugely popular podcast, Control-Alt-Delete, named after her first book. It also encapsulates that she's a regular on BBC's Woman's Hour, moderates panels, and she was selected as one of Forbes's 30 Under 30 in media. The very fact that it takes more than one word or phrase to describe what she does really kind of gets to the bottom of what she's all about, how she's representing so many people, why I can relate to her journey so much, and is the inspiration for her latest book just released last week called The Multi-Hyphen Method. Emma is proud of having a career that includes multiple descriptors, multiple hyphens, as it were. I can relate to Emma in so many ways. For example, her first blog many years ago was about a country girl becoming a city girl called Girl Lost in the City. My first blog when I moved from small town Ohio to New York City, just out of university, was called Katie in the city. And over a decade later, Emma and I are both 
proud multi-hyphenates with careers basically built around the internet with roles that for the most part did not exist when we graduated from school. In this episode, we talk about gut and instinct and how to tune into that. We talk about mentors and getting out of your own head and we acknowledge that yeah, you know what? We're probably all going through similar things. Let's talk about it. Let's dig into it. And let's find our own version of success. Emma's big on that. It was a joy to have her as a guest on this episode. I really enjoyed the conversation with her. And I think you will too. So here she is, Emma Gannon, author of the just released book, The Multi-Hyphen Method. Hi, Emma. Hi. How's it going? Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. Before I started the podcast, I made a list of people, kind of aspirational guests I would love to have on. And you were at the top of the list. Thank you so much. I do the same with my podcast. Yeah. I know how that feels when you're you're kind of just like, this will happen. Fingers and toes crossed. Big congratulations. Tomorrow is pub day for you. It is. It's all happening. It's been a really exciting week. This time around, I've just reminded myself to enjoy it because I think you can just get a bit wrapped up in the whirlwind of it and I'm, I'm you know you have to be present in these moments because it'll all be over soon <laughs> yeah so how do you stay present I'm just slowing down a bit just kind of not being on to the next thing on to the next thing suddenly you know I'm just trying to enjoy now enjoy talking to you and then I've got an event tonight and then I've got my book launch tomorrow and I'm going on a book tour but but if I think of it in that way I'll start freaking out right but overwhelming actually, it's just taking one thing at a time really and um i don't think i did that with my last book but this this time feels so much different that's awesome so second book you would say it, the experience has improved from the first one would you call it an improvement or just different i think when you know the process from start to finish kind of the boring admin and the marketing and the even the process of how you might not like your book cover and all of the conversations you have all the meetings you have i think i'm much more calm i can enjoy it more because it's not the unknown i think first time authors get really freaked out because they they have a picture of how they thought it would be and if it doesn't match up with that picture of perfection then they start freaking out whereas this time i'm like well you know what's the worst that can happen you know like it's it's a process and it happens and a lot of it is out of your control that's the best way to look at probably everything in life and not Any just project. books yeah because <laughs> like it could be the most amazing thing in the world you could have made like the best tv show but it is timing it is finding your audience it is um you know all of the marketing and stuff you know it doesn't just find people what has been the largest challenge the second time around that's a good question i would say just not putting too much pressure on it, I suppose. Also, I suppose I wrote it much more quickly because I had a deadline that creeped up on me. Whereas the first time round, I think I was writing and I didn't even know if I would ever get it published. Right. Whereas this time round, I kind of got the book deal based on the proposal and then it was like, well, just go off and write it. Yeah. So that was, that was slightly different. I have heard you say that this book, you wrote it really quickly and, but kind of because it spilled out of you because it was things you've already been thinking. But so it was things that you had already been thinking plus that you had a deadline that, you know, it was the combination of those two things. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely someone who loves a deadline. Yeah. Because otherwise... It probably would just never really happen. I don't know. I guess because I've been a journalist for a few years now as well. You know, um, you get work if you can hit deadlines. Yeah. No one's really going to commission you again for a magazine if you miss the deadline because then the magazine gets printed without your work in it. Right, you know, like right. the deadlines are really important. So, yeah, I work well to a deadline. But, yeah, I think I've heard a lot of my favourite nonfiction writers say that you do know that you've stumbled across a good idea with nonfiction if you 
write it quite quickly or at least you get a lot of it down and it's all maybe mumbled and jumbled up but at least you you know it's kind of uh, you're onto something the multi-hyphen method is different than your first one in multiple ways obviously in terms of who it's talking to i mean your first book was very much memoir kind of talking to younger women i now realize it was written for the most niche audience ever (laughs) Like it was written for a specific millennial who grew up on MSN. There's a lot of us out there. Yeah, totally. But hard to find, you know, that's a hard thing to do. But you hit, I mean, you you hit that demographic like on the head. But so this one is a little different. You've broadened it. It is tackling something that has kind of been around for a long time, right? I mean, the idea that people do a lot of different things, the portfolio career, Mm -hmm. as it were, but it has changed. There is so much new and you're bringing the newness and it is reaching a lot of different people. Yeah. So I was was, uh, just telling you the other day that I did Hay Festival, which is one of the most famous book festivals in the world. It's impossible to get to. It is so hard. There isn't a train station in the village. You know, it's like a real trek to get there. Um, But it's what makes it so special because everyone that's there really wants to be there and they, you know, they really engage with the talks and then they go and buy the book afterwards. And the queue of people who wanted the book signed honestly could not have been more different and varied. And it made my heart sing because, you know, when Control-Alt-Delete came out, you know, the, the queue was, you know, people, millennial women who were kind of like me and, and, it was like me reflecting back onto myself. And that's why I started the podcast, because I wanted to diversify the conversation and not just talk to those same people. But this book, I mean, it was, I had this kind of realisation and I knew I wanted to keep it broad, but I had mums who felt like they, they were screwed over from their workplace when they got pregnant and not by choice, had to branch out and, and find other way of working. I had like 11 year old um, kids who wanted to start blogs, who had, you know, YouTube, um, you know, idols and wanted to had some practical advice on how to make that happen. Had an 80 year old who was like, I've been doing this for decades, Emma, but your book has not come at the at a better time for me because I I love my portfolio career but I don't have the tools these days to continue doing it so I just thought how amazing that across that spectrum it was relevant for all of them it's so unique that a book that feels like it's speaking to me is also speaking to an 80 year old this is a really interesting time it's to be such an interesting time we're going alive. through so much change <laughs> yeah and how amazing that we can all bond over a shared experience of the fact that it turns out that a lot of us don't want one job and we never did yeah and we never wanted to climb a ladder that was pre-made by someone else right it's like such a universal human thing to you know even the fact that fluidity like that word of um being gender fluid being um you you know bisexual or even uh, not even that even that's boxing yourself in it's like you can be anything and anyone and you don't have to fit into any box that society tells you and I just felt like the career book for that didn't exist Mm -hmm. yet yeah it was still like you have to be like this and this book is basically saying you can have the most random mix and you're still valid and you're still successful giving people validity a sense of validity is the greatest gift it's so easy to look at social media be like they're living the life when it's like uh actually actually this is a, a quote from someone who came on the podcast earlier, Millie Kenny Ryder, who does a lot of social media stuff. And she was like, yeah, the reality is it's just people sitting alone on their bed editing a picture like, you know, and we all, we need to talk about this. We need to make 
each other feel included in this shared experience. It's like whenever you see a photo of someone looking amazing in a bikini on a beach, you have to remember that their flight was probably delayed. <laughs> they had to get from A to B. Like they probably packed something wrong. You know, like yeah. we're just human beings and behind a photo is a hundred million things. I love that because there's that saying, a picture tells a million words. But then I love the thing you just said too, behind a picture, yeah. there's a million things you, you don't see. Yeah, a hundred percent. We don't see enough failure. But then I also think that we're in this weird time where we don't want to see ugly pictures of like ugly food. We want to see like Instagram pictures to inspire us. But I found that my Instagram feed is um, so varied now that I actually get really kind of offended and it jars with me if I see something too perfect. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if you see like a, a billboard of something, um, you know, classically um, perfect, right. whether that's like a lingerie model or whether it's like um, a hamburger that's been edited. I'm, I'm like, that's weird because I choose to follow really different people now. Yeah. It's like my own magazine on Instagram. We're curating exactly what we want to see. And that's the new normal Yeah, for so many of us. Yeah. Like that's always been the way, but... Yeah, I picked up a magazine the other day and was just hor- quite horrified by it. <laughs> Throw I, it down. I was like, this is so weird. You know, have you not got the memo that this is not okay? That goes back to how things are changing. And I think that we know that because our fingers are on the pulse, if you will. Would you say that that is a part of your success? A lot of what I say in the book is the fact that I felt like I had really bad career advice at school. Um, and I was really annoyed for a long time at you know, how much people at university ne- didn't prepare me for the real world because like, you're paying quite a lot of money to go to, to university. And I just felt like I was, I left really not very equipped for the real world. And then I thought, actually, that's really mean to say that because they didn't know either. And my first job was a social media editor and um, I didn't know that existed when I was at uni. I don't think I even had a blog until I, until the first year I left and, you know, started joining Twitter and stuff. But I think it was this idea of we don't know what our careers are going to be, but actually how exciting to carve your own niche. And then being this social media person now, actually someone came up to me at an event the other day going, are you side hustle woman? And I was like, (laughs) this like, kind of, she was quite old and really sweet. And I was like, oh, that's, that's nice. But, you know, people put labels on you for being a certain buzzword. You know, being good at the internet, which you obviously are amazing at as well, it bodes well for the future. I personally have a complicated relationship, I feel like, with social Don't media. Yeah. yeah. So how do you have a complicated relationship with social media? Well, I find that when I started doing the blogging thing and tweeting celebrities on Twitter being really like, hi, Justin Bieber, you know, when back in the day where it was okay to do that. um, (laughs) I felt like I was an early adopter of it. So it felt like my thing. And a lot of my friends didn't care or didn't get it. And I would make, you know, friends through my blog. And it felt like a club, like a secret thing. I'm not saying clubs are good. I'm just, it was just, it felt like kind of quite intimate and quite new. And I think that in the last however many years, now everyone is on it, aren't they? You know, everyone has a blog, everyone has Instagram, everyone has a podcast, everyone has a YouTube channel. And it's like, obviously the people that have done it the longest have become more successful because over time you get experienced and, and learn things. But I find it really overwhelming now. I think everyone, I think people would be lying if they didn't say they open their phone and feel a bit panicked sometimes. Yeah. Um, I liked it when it was slower and quieter. I totally agree with you. Do you ever think that it will go back to being slower and quieter or are we just on like a crazy ramp 
upwards. I think that people see it working. I think the media doesn't help when you've got, you know, six figure Zoella's house, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it's like, yeah, she's done amazingly well. And she's really, really good at what she does. But she was also there at a time where she did it for love and she did it when no one had an agenda. And that does work out well for you because you you are doing it for more than you know, the shiny things. But I think that we've been fed this kind of, you can go on holiday for free if you blog. And so everyone's jumping on it. But I think that what is going to happen is a lot of people will get bored. A lot of people will drop out of of it. Um, People will realise, actually, I don't know if my business does need Twitter. I don't know if me being like a national bank account doesn't need to be tweeting jokes. Weatherspoons quit social media recently because they're a pub and you don't need to tweet pictures of your beer. Right. People are going to go into a pub and have a beer. Yeah. So I think um, we're going to have a natural kind of drop off, I think. Like where you look at it and it's just awkward. Yeah, we, it's we just trying it. too hard. <laughs> exactly. And people make a really good living out of kind of conning people. There's a lot of social media gurus on LinkedIn. If you search social media guru, it's horrific what comes up. Like millions of people selling social media tools that people don't need. Yeah, this kind of all circles around the idea of gut and instinct and listening to that. And you have said before that basically why you are where you are is that you have followed that. And actually, I love you said that someone asked you how you choose the people on your podcast. And you were like, it's a gut feeling if I feel good vibes from them. And I was like, yes, you are speaking my language. That's how I think about things. I think about them as like energies and Mm. vibes and all this stuff that like my husband gives me a hard time for. But that is how I frame it. Instinct and gut are other ways to say it. So how would you feel that that instinct has played a role in your career and your life? I think everything is instinct, definitely. I think... um I think you know that you're getting sort of feelings about something before you'll act on it. So I I know a lot of people and me included that uh, I actually think that the multi-hyphen method book started kind of rumbling in my brain like five years ago. I knew I wanted to write about it and things take a while for you to pick the right moment. But um, yeah, I mean, I left every single job right at the perfect time. And I'm not saying that to kind of big myself up and who knows I might get it totally wrong one day soon but I just felt like something was wrong and no one had said oh we're in financial trouble or no one had said oh we're going to make people redundant in the next few months like I didn't have really any reason to doubt it but I just think you can pick up on energies Mm -hmm. I know I don't want to sound like too hippy dippy about it but if you have if you meet someone and you go home feeling a bit icky and bad about yourself that was bad energy and you shouldn't hang out with them again and I think um it's the same with your work like right now I kind of feel like I'm onto something with my book and I didn't feel like this with the last one really I feel like it's really weird but I'm feeling like I've I've hit on something and I hope I have but I'm going with that I've got a feeling about it and I couldn't tell you I couldn't explain to you further than just that I've got a feeling about it. The people who listen to this podcast, we're all creative entrepreneurs, basically, and it's becoming a growing thing. And I think that every single person who listens to this podcast will love your book. And I will love them because tell you what this book is as well, is it's like a kind of thing where like books are very special to me and they're a physical object, aren't they? And you have them and they've, they're like a part of you. you. You have it on your bookshelf and it says 
this this is something I like you know it shows your personality kind of physically and I think what the book is 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 basically joining people together because every single person who is like oh this is this is me I do this I'm like well we would have an amazing conversation then and I would learn just as much from you as you will from me because it's almost like a bonding book it's like we're all the same and this is a bit of a movement and we should all help each other out yeah and it goes back to inclusion that's that's kind of what is at the heart of it which is really cool yeah because exclusion sucks so inclusion is is fantastic and and there's so much out there at the moment about generational divides isn't there like millennials eat so much avocado and they're lazy and baby boomers own all the property and they're selfish and you know i obviously didn't make these up but they are stereotypes and what i feel like the book does is basically says all of that is rubbish and we're actually all really similar. Yeah. Well, and there's the millennial divide, which you just mentioned, but also a huge political divide going on, certainly in the States, and I think here as well. So anything that can kind of make those lines go away is really valuable. And isn't it really exciting? Because I think for a long time, obedience in the workplace and fear was a way to keep people feeling small. Because you would, if you didn't obey your boss, you would get sacked and you wouldn't be able to feed your family. That is serious. And that is really scary. And women in the workplace, obviously, for centuries, like haven't really got ahead. And now we're in a time where, yeah, sack me because I've got my side project and I've got this and I've got my, you know, network of amazing people. And I am finally in control of my life. Like it's it's really exciting. I've never thought of it like that. I've never thought of such a direct correlation. That's really cool. Having other people in this group, in this crew of freelancers yeah. and like there's millions of us, there's millions of us. And knowing that is important. And I think that it's really important to have mentors in any field. So if you're a freelancer and if you're feeling like none of your friends are and your parents certainly weren't and you can feel alone, who do you look to for that? Who did you look to when throughout every step of your career? Who are some of your mentors? I would say my mentors don't even know they're my mentors because it could be a YouTube video. Yeah. I mean, I'm so geeky though. Like I, I love watching kind of um like you know like Seth Godin yeah. and like the Tim Ferrises of the world and Malcolm Gladwell and Emily Weiss and Whitney Wolfe who founded Bumble like all these amazing people like, I'll just watch hours of them giving keynote speeches I don't know I've just got playlists of of inspirational uh people and I think it's a real sign if you are watching TED talks every night about being your own boss or doing your own thing <laughs> Mm, that's a sign. Yeah, and I, but I did that ye- for years, and and I did it, and then I would go to my office job, and I would go home and watch these these talks. I don't know why I didn't. I mean, I knew that obviously that was a sign, but um, I didn't act on it for for a while. Well, you were probably waiting for the right moment. I had a similar experience where I would just compulsively check food blogs. It's like girl go start a food youtube oh my god a hundred but isn't that then so true that look at what you're googling exactly you want it (laughs) you you want that look at your google (laughs) history and like take notes yeah so some of your mentors don't know about you others certainly do liz gilbert was Mm. your first 
podcast guest. She is so inspiring to me. Yeah, she. me too. I mean, Big Magic was oh, like... Big Magic blew, changed everything. Yeah, oh my God, it like blew the roof off my head. It was insane. And then I kind of had a meltdown because I loved the book. I was working for Glamour magazine at the time and um, and I, I loved my job there because I did get to really write about whatever I wanted and um, I reviewed Big Magic for the magazine. And then I got a DM on Twitter from um, someone who uh, I didn't recognize the name, but she was just like, hi, I work for Liz Gilbert's publisher and Liz would love you to join her for lunch for the launch of Big Magic. She's doing a small lunch for some, for some journalists that have supported her. Epic. She had um, obviously looked at all of the press that she'd got. I did it because I loved the book. I didn't I would never have thought, oh, I'll write this article. Maybe I'll meet her. And I literally sat on the floor and cried. Oh, my God. (laughs) My boyfriend came home and was like, what's happened? And I was like, Liz Gilbert. I thought he just thought I was being really dramatic. But it's a really physical reaction when someone you really admire wants to hang out with you. It's amazing. And anyway, went there and and she was incredible. But but actually, it was way, way before then. It was that TED talk about she talks about how an Eat, Pray, Love was a mega success, how you have to distance yourself from something that's successful because you can go a little bit mad. Throughout history, artists drive themselves mad as soon as they reach success. Yeah. Because it's like, what what do you do next? And also say that you become this like number one bestselling author. Two things happen after that. Well, more than two. But the main ones are like someone wants you to write another one straight away to capitalize on that movement which is seem which is like kind of weird because you did it out of love and then now you're doing it out right. of like two. people yeah. are like oh now I'm interested <laughs> yeah. in you and number two is like well there's only if you go up the only way is down and um yeah I learned this really geeky phrase the other day from a spiritual friend oh do tell um but it's called upper limit you reach your upper limit it's called upper limiting that's like the verb, which means that you hit your goals. And so what happens is you hit this roof of like, oh my God, my life is so amazing. And then sadly, you you really start getting really down in the dumps. And that's why you look at people who have it all, who are like famous and rich and beautiful and they have depression. No one is safe from human feelings that have no logic. How do you bypass the upper limit? syndrome. Well, this is where the Liz Gilbert TED talk comes in because she talks about how creativity is not something that should make you miserable. It should make you happy. Yeah. And if you can if you can separate yourself from your ego and from the pressure and from all of this fake stuff because if you wrote a book and you're proud of it really that should be your good feeling not whether you hit the bestseller list but we live in a world of you know we've been fed this definition of success so I think you know I'm not right about this in the book it's up to you to define what success is and it could just be you had a really nice day with your friends I don't think we should overthink these things with defining your own success it's a really tricky one because we are in a world of just scrolling through Instagram and seeing other people's lives but I think we're going to go back to basics a bit more soon and really figure out what truly makes us happy because I don't think a lot of people who look amazing on Instagram and have millions of followers I don't think they're that happy yeah I would guess that you're right I hope they are though I don't want to generalize it's just that have you ever met up with a friend and felt really bad because you assumed they were fine and you're like oh things look like they're going well with you you know that classic saw your Instagram or blah 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 and then they go actually no I'm not okay So I think hopefully it will encourage us to check in on our friends more often. Yeah, no, I mean, I love Instagram. It's fun. Sometimes I feel like I would be happier if I quit it, though. Right. And I so I think that those extremes. But do you feel like because it's part of your job, 
which it is for me as well. It's a bit of an added pressure, isn't it? Because you, you couldn't really quit without some sort of sacrifice. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. This is my job. And it's just keeping it so that you don't feel like you've sold your soul, I suppose. Like that's the main thing for creatives, isn't it? You know, you have to earn a living, Mm -hmm. but you also have to kind of go to bed at night and be like, yeah, that was a good day. Or look yourself in the mirror and be like, I recognize that person still. Yeah. Um, So I think it's, it's, yeah, it's really, really important to do things that you're not doing just because you think they might look good. Um, Because I think there's looking good on paper and there's feeling actually good about yourself. They're really different. So we have talked about some of the things that creatives go through once they hit a certain level of success and once they reach some of those goals they have, which is important to talk about. What about the creatives who feel like they haven't found that thing and they're like, okay, wait, am I and Katie are telling me to like follow my gut, but like, what is my gut saying? And like, what is my instinct? And so when you are feeling stuck creatively, how do you get unstuck? I have a really good group of friends and I also have a really good community of people online and offline who I turn to. And I think sometimes, um, well, you have to get out of your own head and you have to get out of your own space and it might just be going to the pub and not taking your phone or not even thinking about what you have to do the next day. The best ideas come from the strangest conversations. Um, <laughs> Give me an example of a strange conversation. Well, at the moment, and this this is going to make me sound really um, kind of out of touch, but I've been in like loads of taxis recently just because for this book tour, someone's organizing the transport. Like, I don't want to sound like this. I'm just like always in the back of a cab, <laughs> like me and my fabulous life. That's not the case. But I've been having the best conversation with taxi drivers. Oh, cool. Like amazing. And and it's just sometimes you need to just um, step out of everything and have a conversation with someone who is totally random as well. Um, and I've loved it. And, and actually, um, I really want to write fiction next. So all of these conversations, won't like I'll keep them and dwell on them probably but I think as well when I'm stuck I kind of a remember why I'm doing this in the first place because there was a reason because I like writing and I and I like connecting with people and I like uh the feeling of someone understanding me that's why I started a blog I used to love it when people would tweet my blog links going oh my god Emma's crawled inside my head this is what I think and I'm like that's the biggest compliment that's why I do it there's no other reason I want to be understood and I want to understand other people and make sense of things that's why people are writers and make things but also uh, you should always remember your childhood self as well um I talk about this a lot in the book is your childhood like what you loved when you were younger when there was no pressure around it is is it does tell you a lot about yourself and I was always writing when I was younger like I love it and I think uh those can be clues to what you should do maybe later down the line like was there something that you used to do and you stopped doing it right because you became an adult right because you became an adult so you had to let go of all of the things that bring you joy (laughs) literally yeah there's so many people that have said oh my god yeah like I gave up doing this thing that I loved right when I became you know 18 or something I wonder how frequently those things that we love growing up circle back around and are the same things that what's in your Google history. I wonder if there is a connection between those things. Totally. And I think as well, a lot of the narrative around work is work really hard and then retire and then have fun. And I just don't buy into that. Like you, we have to work obviously and life is hard and jobs are hard. And I don't believe you can do what you love and get paid and it's perfect. Even doing a creative job, 
there are days where it's awful. So I think the whole do what you love and get paid narrative is, is a little bit dangerous. But I do think that there's you can have bits of joy along the way as well I don't think we have to wait until we're retired to do our side project which is what the book is about it's about um you know this is it like we are living our lives right now so you can't wait for a perfect time to get started you have to start small and you have to start now right so start with something that's actually actionable in the moment yeah you know the internet is kind of a crazy thing isn't it (laughs) and the fact that you know it's very new still yeah like we're still figuring it out which is really why conversations like this is is so intriguing because we're both just talking about it we're still learning yeah um but it was sold to us as this big exciting experiment like it's an experimental tool isn't it and so i think with any side project or any business or any fun hobby just treat it as a bit of an experiment it might work it might not but then just try and try something else right try and inject as much curiosity as you can I love people that talk about curiosity over passion which is what Elizabeth Gilbert talks about in Big Magic doesn't she because passion is a really annoying word it it reminds me of applying for a job when I was 21 and being like I've I'm passionate (laughs) for the industry (laughs) yeah exactly no but it does feel like there is something heavy on your shoulders when you use the word passion because it's like oh this is a thing that I'm so passionate about and it's like we're meant to be passionate all the time you can go through phases of not being like passionate about I don't know your best friend or your boyfriend or your girlfriend like obviously you are passionate about them but some days you're not right some days you're not passionate about your job some days you're not passionate about anything yeah like and that's okay the name of this podcast is keep it quirky and it kind of gets to exactly what we're talking about which is to kind of lighten up and not in a way of like oh lighten up it's like you can be more productive you can be a happier person if you aren't taking everything so seriously like it's life or death keep it quirky so emma how do you keep it quirky that's so funny you say that because a lot of people would say to me how do you maintain your momentum because i used to blog a lot alongside a full-time job and i didn't mean to but a lot of people would be like you're making me feel bad because you're blogging every night and you have a job and like i'm not and and it was like (laughs) well okay this isn't a personal attack on you yeah like i don't even know who you are like you're just someone on twitter like tweeting me but at the same time um you know you don't want to make people feel bad so uh, so i was like well here's how i do it i don't treat it like it has to be a masterpiece like i just there's errors there's typos i just did it i think that we do live in a bit of a perfectionist society still don't we you know we just we want everything to be a bit amazing and perfect all the time and um that's not how projects get started okay so this podcast is conversations with creative entrepreneurs check check largely because food is so much of my career and my life and my passion your passion (laughs) we talk a lot about food and travel on this podcast so i would be remiss if i did not ask you about the role food plays in your life I love food so much. You know, there's that meme that's like, find someone who looks at you the way you look at pizza when it's arriving. <laughs> yes. I I just feel like there's no happier feeling, really, that when your food's arriving in a restaurant, I think about what I'm eating like all day long for dinner. And I like to just plan it in my head. And I'm not a great cook, though. So I, I have my classics and I'm getting better. That's one thing that I've been trying to do. I went to Naples recently. <gasps> How was that? And it was really good. I love Italian food. Yes. I just want to feel good and I feel like 
you know this sort of word like nourishing mm-hmm. um i was talking to someone about it the other day but she was like nourishing can be like some days you might need a beer and a pizza and that will nourish you because you need it and you need to like have a conversation with your friend and the conversation with your friend and the pizza is nourishing you like the word nourish is really interesting to me because I don't think it means what people think it means sometimes it does mean a plate of vegetables because you are needing them but it's like I just love this idea of kind of listening to what you need at a certain point in your life like if you've just gone through a breakup, have some ice cream. I'm yeah. sure that will nourish you. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe you don't agree with that. No, I, uh, I 100% agree with that. I don't think that nourishing equals like the nutrition facts on the back of a box. I'm a little caught on you saying that, oh, I'm not a great cook, but because I think that like everyone, it's like, but you do cook for yourself. I do. And also once I do it, I realize that it's one of the only times where I'm making something with my hands and I'm totally um, relaxed. Yes. Like it's an experience, isn't it? Right. Because your mind is, it can't obsess about whatever it wants to obsess about because you have to A, make sure you don't cut your finger off while you're dicing the onion. And then like, I know the word's been overused, but it's like, if you spend two hours cooking for yourself, it's self-care. Yes. It feels amazing. Even if, and Melissa Hemsley actually has said this to me before, but she's like, even if you are cooking for just you and yourself, you should make yourself an amazing meal. It shouldn't always have to be just for someone else or for like, you as a couple or you as a you know group of friends like treat yourself really well I do feel like we like the food industry is changing though and um I have a lot of vegan friends and they never push it on to me but I end up having what they have in restaurants and I and I really really enjoy it and I'm and I'm slowly being converted but like really really naturally over time yeah do you know what I mean like it's just happening that way what advice would you give to anyone who wants to start a career in a creative field, what would you tell them? And that could also be yourself. Like, what would you tell yourself? I would say try not to get caught up in what's really trendy right now. I think that you should look beyond the short-term success of things. You know, I, for example, like I didn't jump on the YouTube thing because I'm not good at that. You know, I just felt like either you want to do that and that's where you're comfortable but it was when bloggers started YouTube channels and it was like it was working and people you know people were seeing massive success but I just sometimes you have to take a seat out you have to like sit on the bench a bit and be like no no that's your thing and like I'm going to support the people that are doing that but that's not for me and I think it's powerful when you step back and you don't jump on something or you say no or you kind of think no no that might be trendy or trending or taking off but like you 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 stick to what is true to you but so being conscious about those decisions because i would also say that part of the reason you've been so successful is because you did hop on certain things like you did hop on twitter and you did hop on the blog thing so i kind of hopped on things that felt good for me yeah Um, so back to the gut thing the instinct i mean this is really kind of specific to like social media platforms but I guess in a creative industry you do have to promote your work but um yeah there's no point like setting up you know across every single thing you know like Vine and Pinterest and stuff and Snapchat like I didn't touch them and I just think don't get caught up in don't get caught up in sort of what looks like the cool thing um just plug away at what you really want to be doing and and just stay true to that um and start small 
Uh, just pick one thing and, and, and start with that. Don't don't spread yourself too thin, basically. Because the multi-hyphen method, I'm sure people will think, oh God, has Emma written a book about like having 25 different jobs? <laughs> Doing a million things. And like things. spinning all these plates and God, that sounds exhausting. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying you can pick a few things and do them really well. And that's where things start to pay off. Emma, thank you so much for coming thank on the so podcast. Thank you having me. I've wanted to ask you loads of questions the whole way through it because... That's my natural because, uh, yeah. vibe. Yeah. But what is it like being on the other side? Tables are turned. Well, I just think you are in the, we're in the same boat, aren't we? Yeah. Like, yeah. So it's been really great to meet you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening, everyone, as always. And I hope you got something out of this conversation. If you enjoyed it, just a sliver of the amount that I enjoyed having this conversation with Emma, then you're leaving with a few things to keep in mind. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review in the Apple Podcast Store. Hit me up with comments or suggestions of who I should have on the pod at QKD on Instagram and Twitter and at Keep It Quirky Podcast for podcast-specific news and updates. Thanks to my brother Brian Quinn for the awesome theme song you hear here and I will see you right back here next week as always until then keep it quirky